0: Trust the only payment solution developed for attorneys and recommended by 47 state bars, law pay. Bullies can be everywhere, including on the bench. So what do you do if you're in front of a judge who acts like a tyrant? And how do you respond in a way that protects your client's best interest? I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm speaking with Rula Alouche about what to do if you're facing a bully on the bench. An Ohio trial lawyer who does insurance defense work, Rula also co-founded and is now vice chair of the ABA's Bully Proof Committee, which is housed with a section of civil rights and social justice. She's also a Young Lawyers Division Delegate to the ABA's House of Delegates, and she's co-chair of the Council on American-Islamic Relations for their National Board of Directors. Welcome to the show, Rula. Thank you. So tell me about the Bullyproof Committee. I know it started with the Young Lawyers Division. What year did it get started, and how did you guys get the idea?
1: So it was during the chair year of Mario Sullivan. And my co-chair that year was Beth Palmer out of South Carolina. And Mario, Beth, and I spoke a few times leading up to his chair year about the problem of bullying in schools. At the time, we were primarily focusing on youth. And then it became a project that focused on employment-based bullying, bullying with judges, as a topic today, and other matters as well.
0: So I'm curious, when you first started having conversations about this, I would imagine, unfortunately, the judges probably came up pretty quickly. I mean, particularly, I think it's an issue for younger lawyers who maybe aren't used to that yet in court. Is that what happened? And can you tell me a bit about it?
1: Yes, you're right. It definitely did. So the Bullyproof Project focus on youth and, and kids in school and how to deal with Bullying at that level uh, was one track of bully proof. And as we expanded it pretty quickly on, as you suggested, the issue of bullying for litigators by judges came up and we decided that that was part of uh, the overall focus of the project that we should focus on.
0: So and I think, too, there's kind of this sense with litigators that if a judge is you feel like he or she is bullying, you just kind of overlook it to a certain extent, depending on what it means for your client. Do you think that's changing? And how can you, I mean, sometimes perhaps you should overlook it, but sometimes you can't. And how can we get past that?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely still, the norm would probably be to overlook it and try to bypass the challenges that someone's facing in court because of their relationship between the litigators and the judge, and of course, ultimately being concerned about the best interests of the client from the litigator's perspective. However, in recent years, we're seeing, I think, an increase in litigators standing up for their rights to not be subjected to bullying from the bench, particularly where the issue seems to be on a more personal level and not specifically related to a case or a matter that's coming up, such as a discovery dispute, but it it appears to be More of a personal basis, and very particularly when it appears to be a potential bias issue from the from the bench.
0: And how is that normally? How are you seeing that raised? I mean, is it a matter where in court on the records, and we'll say, Your Honor, your behavior is inappropriate? I mean, what what happens?
1: There are certainly instances where litigators do that, and you know, we were talking about how this was a young lawyer project when it started. Now it's housed in the section of civil rights and social justice, but. Uh, that can certainly be a challenging thing for particularly a younger or a less experienced lawyer to do with a judge. More often than not, what we're seeing is attorneys after the fact going back, consulting with mentors and other attorneys and perhaps filing complaints with the Bar Association or following up on a way to make a complaint about a judge's behavior as anonymously as possible.
0: Mm. And so I, this is kind of a dumb question, but are there some times where maybe you could make an objection to the judge's behavior in court if it's bullying?
1: There are certainly litigators who, if you know, they feel comfortable, they would be able to make a statement asking maybe for the focus to be redirected to the case and not a personal back and forth if that's the nature of the bullying. But I think far more often what we see is a dealing with the situation after the fact than while you're in court at the time.
0: In terms of strategy, how do you think it would go over in court? Obviously, that's a very big question that would certainly depend (laughs) on the situation.
1: Right. I think the biggest challenge from the attorney's perspective, especially in court, actively in a hearing, is that the attorney is there on behalf of the client, representing the client's best interests. You want to make sure that you aren't impacting your client's case if you do raise an objection directly to the judge. Another challenge for many attorneys is that they're oftentimes in front of the same judges. So, you know, you have a future relationship that you know and expect that you'll have cases with people that are serving as judges and especially local areas that the litigants, I think, are mindful of.
0: Could you see a situation where, I mean, it seems like conventional wisdom is it wouldn't be your client to make an objection in court. But if it shut down the judge's behavior, maybe it could be a good thing and maybe your client would appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I could certainly imagine an instance, especially if the client feels like the way the judge is treating his or her attorney is impacting the fairness of the decisions on their case. Certainly a client could appreciate a litigator speaking up for them or the situation that they're facing and pushing back against the judge.
0: And I'm curious, I'd imagine there's plenty of times where an attorney feels like the judge is bullying his or her client. And I'm guessing it's a lot easier to raise that in court than when you feel like the judge is bullying you. Yes,
1: I think that's very true. And and what we've seen is that that's a situation where it's much easier for the attorney directly in court to push back against what feels to be bullying of one side or one party or you know, a particular individual that the attorney is representing. Uh, it's very consistent with what the lawyer is there for, and you're in that role in court of serving as an advocate for your client. And so if the bullying seems less personal to the attorney and more to the side of the case or to the party that you're representing, I think we found that attorneys are not just much more willing, but much more likely to push back directly against the bullying that's coming down from the bench.
0: Let's talk about the other suggestion you made, which was trying to handle it discreetly by going to the presiding judge or maybe the judicial inquiry board or however one wants to approach it, you know, discreetly. What are some ways to do that so that your complaint is heard and taken seriously?
1: So the attorneys that are dealing with a situation like that would probably be best checking the local court's rules or, as you suggested, oftentimes there's a judicial inquiry board that one could reach out to, and there are often steps that one would take to file a complaint. In that way, you try to do so discreetly. But attorneys, especially ones who are of different cultural backgrounds or ethnicities, maybe in a minority attorney position, they're also mindful of the fact that even going a discreet manner and method in a way where you try as hard as you can to be anonymous, you may not able to be completely anonymous. By the time a complaint gets to the court and the judge, uh, it may be relatively clear who it is that's making the complaint. <laughs>
0: And do you think, I I would imagine that if a judge is bullying counsel, it's not just one person. It's probably not just two people. It's probably a whole heck of a lot of lawyers who are getting bullied by this judge. Would it make sense to try to gather other attorneys when you make a complaint as opposed to just having a single complaint?
1: Yes. We've learned of instances where attorneys do just that, where there's a particular judge that's prone to acting in a way that feels like bullying to a, a number of litigants and they will come together and file a group complaint or a complaint on behalf of either a bar association or a group of people that, you know, then there's strength in numbers and a larger chance at anonymity to complain to the judiciary board or whomever it is that would be doing the review of the judges' interactions in court to say These are multiple instances of the same type of behavior that continues to repeat itself. And attorneys are concerned about their own abilities in court being impacted by the bullying, but more importantly, a limitation on the ability to properly represent their clients because of a particular judge's behavior.
0: And we hear all the time, if you're an employee and you feel like your supervisor is bullying you, keep a record. Keep keep a good record. What's your advice on applying that logic to if you're in court and you feel like a judge is bullying you repeatedly?
1: Yeah, I think attorneys need to be mindful. More often than not, proceedings are recorded and there's a video that would exist from the court's own capacities of what happened in court and what transpired in the particular instance where the complaint's being raised. So attorneys should proactively file complaints quickly so that there's no issue of the video being lost in time or, you know, recorded over if the record didn't need to be preserved past a certain amount of time. So, you know, acting more quickly would help to ensure that that video evidence was preserved.
0: I see. So you have your own experience with this, and I was hoping you could share that with listeners
1: I do. So I am a litigator in Kentucky and Ohio. I'm a Muslim attorney. And as a part of my personal religious faith, I wear a hijab, a headscarf. So I stand out as a Muslim attorney when I'm in court. But unfortunately, oftentimes people will get the Muslim part, but not perceive me to be an attorney because I don't fit maybe what a person thinks an attorney would look like. And unfortunately, that's true of judges as well. So I've had multiple experiences with judges stopping me from speaking in court, limiting my movement in the courtroom, presuming that I'm a party and not the attorney that's handling the matter.
0: I have a question. If you are at the table, how would they not know that you're an attorney? Because your client's not there and they assume you're the client? <laughs>
1: that's happened. There's been times where, you know, it's a hearing where parties weren't required to be present and the judge automatically presumed that I was the represented individual and my attorney just had failed to show But I've also had instances where I was at counsel table with my client seating appropriately where the attorney, based on the courtroom setting, usually the attorneys sit closer to the aisle and the parties to the right or left of Mm -hmm. the attorney, depending on which table they're at. And I've had the instance where a judge stopped me from speaking, expecting that my client who was next to me and well-dressed white male individual that the judge presumed was the attorney and that I was the client. And, you know, actually that in that particular instance, there were a few minutes back and forth on the record where I was trying to prove to the court that I was the attorney and my client was, in fact, the client party and not the attorney that should be
0: speaking. So you told the court, you said, Your Honor, I'm the attorney, not him. And then you had to prove it.
1: Yes. Saying it on the record wasn't enough. <laughs> it was, it was a, an interesting situation.
0: When you said, I'm the attorney, Your Honor, what did the judge say?
1: If I remember correctly, the judge said, no, you're not. And then I persisted to say, no, your honor, I am. And I was was a a bit at a loss. I've had this happen to me before where I had to assert that I was the attorney. But usually once I made the statement, that was where it ended. In this particular instance, and this was in the past year and a half or so, the judge, as I said, said, no, you're not. And then I was a bit at a loss on how to prove I was the attorney, but you know, I just explained again that I'm the attorney, this is my client. Um, and after going back and forth a few more seconds in that manner, the judge then said, Well, you filled out your paperwork wrong, counsel. If you're the attorney, you didn't sign in the proper places. And that was that judge's way, I think, of saving space. And because this was an open court hearing, um, and I think everyone in the courtroom was very quiet because it was very uncomfortable, most particularly for my client who. You know, the judge was directly addressing as though he should speak, and and preparing him. I'd let him know that I would be the one speaking on his behalf. So it was it was tense and it was difficult for all involved.
0: Well, did your client say, "No, Your Honor, I'm not an attorney"? She is.
1: He at one point started to interject, kind of explaining that because the judge was directly addressing him, expecting him to speak, and you know, his face was red and he was very uncomfortable and. He's kind of pointing to me and looking at me as I was patiently trying to explain to the court that if we had, in fact, signed incorrectly, that was our error. But I I am the attorney. I think at some point I offered to pull out my bar card because I tend to have that in my bag with me more often. I have it with me because it allows you to get into court sometimes more quickly. But that day apparently would have served the purpose of proving that I am the attorney that I was claiming to be.
0: So he finally figured out that you're the attorney. And and then what happened after the hearing?
1: Then we have to proceed with the hearing, which was very uncomfortable. Um, He was, you know, he made a statement about us having signed incorrectly. And I remember thinking to myself, well, that's kind of hard to believe that my client, myself, my office assistant, who would have reviewed the paperwork that we all missed, that our names were interchanged. But you know, I went back and checked later, and that wasn't the case. We had completed everything properly. I think that was just the judge's way of accepting that I was the attorney and moving forward. I mean, we had the hearing. It was about a 10-minute hearing, and it was just done in a very formal way. There were no other issues during the hearing. And afterward, I was left with the decision and choice that a lot of attorneys have to make of what do I do next? Because it's one thing for you know anybody to ask a question or make sure that they're aware of who's who and, you know, which party is which. But um, it certainly felt like an example where I personally was being bullied by that judge. And it also felt it was much to do because of my religious background and who I am as a person rather than anything to do with the case that we were there for.
0: Right. And did you decide to make a did you think about mentioning this to the judges, PJ, or what did you what did you decide to do going forward after the hearing was done?
1: I did, and it's a difficult situation to be in. So in working with Bullyproof and dealing with this issue, I, I think the experience helps me speak to others about it um, because I can understand from a personal perspective, I was concerned that I'm going to be in front of that judge and I'm before many judges in that court often, and there are not many Women who wear hijab as attorneys practicing in our area, so the complaint was going to be clearly made by me. I don't think there was any way around that. As much as there's space for anonymity and discretion, if I was specific in the complaint, it would have been clear that it was me. And what I ended up deciding in that instance was to make the complaint, and the reason for doing so had less to do with me than the fact that there are many other litigants that practice before that court and that judge, and while I might be the only one currently that wears hijab. Hopefully that will change in the future, but more important, even as we are now, there are multiple parties that are before judges that are of various backgrounds, attorneys of different backgrounds and faiths that would be before the same judge. And I just couldn't sit with the fact that if I didn't pursue a complaint and raise the issue, that nothing would change moving forward. Because it was a very uncomfortable experience for myself and my client. I don't want that to be repeated for others, so ultimately that's where the decision was made to to pursue some action.
0: So could you tell me what happened?
1: As far as I know, the complaint was received and I was told that corrective measures would be taken, but I didn't I wasn't aware of what steps they were or what ultimately happened. It's kind of one of those situations where you raise the issue, it's acknowledged and then I'm told that it would be addressed. Internally, and frankly, I think there were avenues that I could have pursued to learn more, but I I was comfortable leaving it at that. Now, in other instances, other attorneys might and probably should pursue further, but you know, for this instance and for my for the complaint that I raised,
0: I left it at that. Have you appeared in front of this judge since then?
1: I have not. I have appeared in front of many other judges, and there was one hearing after I raised a complaint that could have been in front of that judge, but it's one where a number of judges in that court could have been covering the docket that day. And it just so happens that another one was. So there was one day where I was prepared that I might be before the same judge, but I have not yet had that experience.
0: Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about the question of whether a judge is bullying is directed specifically at counsel or perhaps toward the litigation in front of the judge and how to think about that before you decide what to do with behavior you don't like from the bench. We'll be right back. Did you know that attorneys who accept online payments get paid 39% faster on average than those using traditional payment methods? With LawPay, the only payment solution offered through the ABA Advantage program, you can accept client payments online, via email, or in person, no equipment needed. Visit lawpay.com slash podcast to sign up and get your first three months free. And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, we're talking about bullying from the bench and what counsel can do about it. Joining me today is Rula Alush. She is an Ohio litigator, and she's also been fundamental in the ABA's Bullyproof Committee. So Rula, sometimes judges can get pretty vocal about a case in front of them and how they want it handled. And it might seem like they are trying to bully counsel, but perhaps it might actually be about the matter in front of them because they want a settlement. How do you can you talk about when you're in the moment, how to kind of consider that when you're in front of a court and how to how to respond?
1: Well, I think oftentimes the lawyers speak, so oftentimes we know before going before a judge, you know have an expectation maybe of the judge's demeanor in particular when it comes to pushing for negotiations. Um and I, I think that ultimately, if the attorney that's before the judge feels like the line has been crossed from pushing, the parties and pushing towards settlement um, to maybe more personal, that's where I think the issue of bullying would be raised. So, if it's a judge pushing both sides to offer more money or to be willing to accept less and pushing them on um, agreeing to certain terms that are specific to the case, I think that's a little different than when someone's dealing with the personal jabs or personal comments that are being directed specifically to the litigants' attorneys.
0: And we've talked about being in open court. Do you have thoughts on judges' behavior that's bullying in chambers? Because I think perhaps that happens quite a bit, but it's more subtle and it's not on the record.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point. I think that it tends to be what we see is where there's a judge that is prone to bullying attorneys that in open court it is louder. It's more it's more clear when it's in chambers, it's a subtle comment, it's particularly when you get to issues of implicit or bias matters where women attorneys are treated differently than male attorneys or attorneys of different racial and ethnic backgrounds are treated differently than uh, white attorneys. So those more subtle approaches definitely come seem to be present more often in chambers and private settlement conferences that judges will sometimes conduct where they're dealing with the attorneys and the individuals on a more personal direct basis.
0: and if it is more personal and direct, do you think if one felt like they were being individually attacked in chambers, you might it might could be good to say something in the moment?
1: yes. and I, I think one of the things that we are trying to empower people to do is to feel more comfortable, particularly where it is a situation of bias, whether it's a female attorney being treated differently than male attorneys or, attorneys from different minority backgrounds being treated differently than their white attorney counterparts to directly say something where perhaps it's uncomfortable, but we're attorneys and we're used to saying uncomfortable things. And I think hopefully as society, we're entering a space where we're less comfortable or less willing to allow statements like that to be made, particularly on that interpersonal level. So certainly always respectfully, but I think attorneys should feel comfortable saying something now, I fully recognize that's easier said than done. And I can you know refer to instances of my own career in the past as a as a female attorney, and as I've referenced as a Muslim attorney, where perhaps I could have said um, something but didn't. So I understand that it's difficult, but I would hope that that we would do so. And if I may add also, it's important for bystanders. So the attorneys perhaps that are in the room, and aren't directly receiving the bullying behavior to also be willing to speak up. So that if, you know, when I'm in court, if someone's saying something to me that's inappropriate and it's in, in a way of bullying coming from the bench, that the other attorney that I deal with, even though they're my counterpart dealing with the other side, they should also feel a sense of obligation to say something. And that's how hopefully we'll be able to correct this moving forward, especially if both sides, both attorneys are the multiple attorneys that are in the room speak up.
0: Right. And that's, I mean, yeah, you think, yeah, that would help a lot of opposing counsel would speak up. But I'm also, part of me is saying that's a big ask, but then I'm thinking, no, it's not. So, I mean, are we changing enough that opposing counsel should be expected to speak up?
1: I would hope so. I mean, I, I agree with you. It, it, initially, you think of it as an ask, but the reality is I think it's an obligation that we each have. And particularly. As attorneys and officers of the courts, we're talking about bullying of attorneys, but really, in particular, if we're thinking about bullying, if it's based on some type of bias or discrimination, then Mm -hmm. you really have to consider the individuals that are before that judge, the people who are, whether it's in a criminal case or a civil case, and whether if the judge is exhibiting biases against the attorneys for those things, then it's more often than not, more likely than not, that the actual individual parties before the judge may also be subject to that same thought process. And if so, as officers of the court, I think we have obligations to speak up.
0: And that's a way you could perhaps answer the question where if I speak up for opposing counsel, what does it mean for my client?
1: Yes. I mean, certainly opposing counsel shouldn't be speaking up in a way that's detrimental to his or her own client, but if it's unrelated to the facts of the case, and oftentimes when we're talking about bullying, it can be related to personal attributes of the attorney and not necessarily you know, the actual case or facts of the underlying matter that we're there for.
0: For judges who may be inclined to be bullies in court, I'm going to guess that a lot of them would probably never admit to it or acknowledge it. But I'm curious, with the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement, do you think that some judges are becoming more aware about behavior that may not go over well with other people? Or on the other hand, is there like this backlash where they feel like people are just complainers and they're going to, they're a judge and they're going to do what they're going to do?
1: Yeah, the answer to that is probably true for society at large these days. So I'm sure that judges would fall under both categories, as do many people that are dealing with this new Me Too movement and how to deal with it, I would hope that more and more we're finding ourselves introspective and, you know, looking at our actions and how we all can do better. And I'm sure there are many judges who are doing that. And then, unfortunately, the few that do not. But, you know, another part of this is judges themselves dealing with one another and and being mindful of their colleagues and their counterparts on court and how they're treating people.
0: (laughs) Well, and do you think it does seem like in the past year, the presiding judges and the administrative offices have become more aware of the problem and are actively looking for solutions?
1: I think that's fair to say. And I'm proud of the work that the American Bar Association and other bar associations and other professional organizations are working on to improve these types of matters. And, you know, it goes without saying, there are so many judges that deal with attorneys in a professional way and in a way that's productive for the case and for the professional relationship that the attorneys and judges experience over a number of years that, you know, we're not talking about the bench as a whole. So hopefully those good judges, the ones who act in a way they're not anywhere close to the bullying behavior that we're talking about, would also be able to interject and intercede and have some benefit to the, to the issue that we're dealing with.
0: Now, sometimes if you have a judge who is very vocal in court and has yelled at you about your objections, sometimes attorneys will maybe stop making objections. What's your advice on that so that you do what you need to do to preserve the appeal and keep your cool and don't get intimidated?
1: I think it's the last thing you said, don't get intimidated. And that's probably especially true for young lawyers or less experienced lawyers who find themselves in those situations. I very recently was in court with a much more experienced attorney, and he also happened to be much older, and he didn't like an argument I was making and suggested that I check in with an older lawyer while we were in recess about my argument. And, you know, it could be easy for someone to feel intimidated in that situation and have it get into your head, so to speak. But attorneys just need to remember that when we're in court, our obligation, our ethical obligation is to act in the best interest of our client. And if an objection needs to be made, it needs to be made. If the record needs to be preserved, then it should be preserved. And the foundation for an appeal, if that's ultimately what's necessary, has to be put in place.
0: All right. And that's everything we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for your time, Rula.
1: Thank you for having me and for referencing and supporting the Bullyproof Project.
0: Oh, of course. And listeners, thank you for joining us as well. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journals Asked and Answered.